Well, hello there, and welcome to the My Adoption Coach podcast, where I give you the step-by-step support and guidance you need on your domestic adoption journey. My name is Amanda, and I'm an adoptive mom of two on a mission to make your adoption easier, faster, and more affordable, because no one should walk the domestic adoption journey alone. Well, hello there, friend, and welcome back to the My Adoption Coach podcast. We are so glad that you've made the decision to join us today. If you haven't done so already, please take a minute to subscribe or follow this podcast. That way you will be notified each and every time I release a new episode. And I would really love it if you would consider leaving a five-star review and a little bit of feedback about your experience listening to this podcast. That helps me know what type of content you're finding the most value in so that I can create more content like that for you. Thank you, friend. Welcome back. Today, we are having a conversation with Sarah Silvestri, and she is the owner of The Adoption Doc. Sarah is an MD, a board-certified pediatrician, and she's an adoptive mom. And she really has a passion for helping both adoptive parents and foster parents really understand kind of the the tricky medical history forms that we often come across and those really questionable, like, what does this diagnosis mean that comes up in our lives? So Sarah, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Would you share a little bit more about yourself with our audience? Sure. And thank you so much for having me. Um, As you mentioned, I am a board certified pediatrician. I've been practicing medicine now for almost uh, 20 years, and most of that time has been spent in pediatrics. Um, Over my career, I have taken care of kids from numerous different backgrounds, uh, but really a lot have been involved in foster care and adoption. It was not until 2017 that I became an adoptive mom myself, and I now have two uh, wonderful little boys. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was during that process, though, that I realized, just like you said, you know, as hopeful adoptive parents, we're frequently asked, to make decisions based on medical histories or um, drug exposure, substance exposures. And I struggled with that at the time that we were going through the process. Um, And that was with, you know, years of medical training and uh, working in the medicine field in pediatrics. So I couldn't imagine how other families were doing it. And that's what led to me starting uh, the adoption doc to try to help families navigate that process. Well, that is just amazing. I wish that I had met you back during uh, my adoption journey because I will admit I played a little too much Dr. Google and scared myself to death. Um, I was really fortunate that my uh, my primary care as an adult said, I, she kind of took pity on me, right? And she was like, I'll help you. I'll read, I'll read some of these things. But um, wow, what, a, what an amazing resource for our community. Thank you so much for doing this. This is great. Oh, it's my pleasure. I just want to help people along the way because it is intimidating. And uh, I think so many of us uh, during that time have um, so many mixed emotions about the process that we don't need to be put in a position where we feel um, a little powerless and that we're making decisions that are based way beyond our knowledge. So I'm here to help. 
That is awesome. One of the things I coach my community on a lot is really having a clear vision of what life is like in your family and making sure that you're putting the child's needs first in that, right? So understanding the medical history that of the birth parents and of, you know, the potential their family as well is really important because you need to know what you feel equipped to parent and what you really feel equipped to deliver. And so that's super important. Um, So again, this is just amazing. So I do get a lot of questions from the community on a regular basis around just, you know, what type of records to be asking for, what should they be looking for, and then around specific diagnoses as well. So do you want to start with just kind of a general overview from your perspective? Yeah. um, You know, from my perspective, obviously, the more you can find out, the better, right? So the more records you can get, the more information you have, the more you can Um, try to find answers yourself or get help from somebody who can give you answers. Uh, I know sometimes it's hard though, and we just make do with what we have. If you can though, get information on your expectant families, the both expectant mother and as much as you can about the expectant father, that's very helpful for your child in the future, no matter what happens. Um, Your child will want to know their family history at some point and being able to have that is very important for them. Uh, It also gives you some idea of what you may encounter uh, in that child's life in regards to what medical problems may pop up. During the pregnancy itself, OB records are really wonderful. If you can get the records from the OB, see what they're talking about, see what they're testing for, see what they're concerned about. Um, A lot of times you can get a sense, is the baby developing well? Did they have a concern? Is there something that they're looking for? And again, this may be something that you need some help with to interpret. Uh, but the more you can get, the better. I always, though, you know, you have to do it within reason of what the birth mother is willing to share or yeah. the extent mother at that point is willing to share. And, um, and you have to be respectful of that. So you want to try to get what you can, but also respect her privacy um, because that's a, a big portion. Medical records are private for people. They really do have a lot of information there that expectant moms may not feel comfortable sharing. So we have to be respectful of that as we go through the process too. Yeah, I completely agree. It's something that kind of on the other end of the journey, um, it was something that I wish I had, you know, researched more about. My kids are, you know, healthy and I'm very thankful for that. But now as they're growing and developing, I'm wishing I had more information, um, you know, about their their history. My son does have a you know particular food sensitivity issue, and it took a lot of investigating in, in order for us to unpack what that was and really figure it out. And uh, the poor little guy probably suffered a few more months than he had to because it was just not something that was on our radar at all. So it's it is really important to do the due diligence, but yet respect the boundaries, as you said, so that you are equipped as these children grow. Um, so thank you for that. That's a really great point. I, we do get specific questions around specific diagnoses that tend to be a little bit more common. And so I'd love to ask you for your opinion or things or language to be looking for potentially on a couple of those that are more common, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, probably the thing that I get asked the most about would be substance exposure, especially yes. drugs. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we go through this conversation today, and anytime I have it with uh, hopeful adoptive parents, it can be a little frustrating at times. Uh, again, I think we are trying to do the best we can to control a situation that's largely out of our control. 
And sometimes hearing that it's a little nebulous uh, is, is frustrating to people. But what we can do is look at what trends we see and things that we need to think about moving forward based on family histories and this substance exposures and that sort of thing. Um, but unfortunately, even with substances, there's no way to say 100% that if this mother does XYZ, that this is going to happen. You know, right. when we look at this, yeah, there, there's a lot of factors that play a role. Um, a lot of times, expectant moms who are using substances will also have factors that have, uh, influence the development of the baby, such as poor nutrition and poverty and uh, maybe other diseases and other uh, illnesses. And those things can play a role. So, um, so it is a little frustrating at times that I can't say if this is an exposure, this can happen. But having said that, again, we can look for trends. So with substance exposure, I kind of I think of it in terms of three different phases. So there's the phase of what do we need to worry about when mom is still pregnant? What do we need to worry about when the baby is first born? And then what are the long-term consequences of these exposures? Okay. I really agree with that. And having that, again, that vision of what life is like when this child comes home helps you really kind of balance and find congruency of if these, you know, it's again, to your point, a lot of if-then statements, if these are, you know, the types of situations that we could find ourselves in, are we equipped to deliver that? And it is, again, really important that we be really clear and mindful of that um, because, you know, those may not be things that you envision, right, in your life. And there's no, there's no harm in that. You just want to make sure that you can provide the needs that this child might have. And again, to Sarah's point, you can't say, you know, like, oh, this means that, you know, exactly. It's not A equals A every time. Uh, that's just not, unfortunately, how things work. Yes. Um, and and it, my goal is just to help equip parents to make the best decisions for their family. Yeah. Every family is different. Um, you know, going into the situation, which works best for your family. So that's all I'm trying to help families with. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Another really common question that I get is around mental illness and just how mental health, you know, um, or family history of mental health could play a role in this child's life as well. Are there any things that, you know, you think that we should research and be prepared for as we kind of potentially come across that? Yeah. So mental health is a tough one. Um, so as much as we can't say, you know, drug X will cause uh, effect A, drug, uh, mental health is even more nebulous. So most drugs we can say, you know, if you're, um, if the expectant mom is using opiates, for example, the chances of having withdrawal and some sort of withdrawal symptoms is going to be relatively high. Long-term problems, they may have problems with uh, learning disabilities, focus problems, lower IQs, that sort of thing. Yeah. For mental health, it gets to be much more nebulous, unfortunately, because so much of mental health has to do with our environment and what we're around. So if you look at studies looking at genetics of mental health, I love twin studies for genetics, right? So you have two people who have the exact same genetics. So if something is purely genetic, then they should both have it, right? It should be a one-to-one -one, uh, correlation there. Everybody should have it. When you look at that for, let's say, depression with twin studies, you find that twins will only have um, 
both twins who only have depression 35 to 40% of the time. So that means that most of the time, it's not going to be strictly a genetic cause that's leading to that. Yeah. And then you get into things like what happens when you're raised by somebody who has a mental illness. So mm-hmm. looking at anxiety, if, uh, if your parent has anxiety and you're an offspring of a parent, again, your rate of having anxiety is not, not real high. It's still in the low, um, lower half of the, the percentiles there. So what does that mean? It means, again, there's environmental factors. But if you're being raised by an anxious parent who's constantly saying things to you like, be careful about this, don't do that, don't touch that, what happens if you do that? And and walking through those scenarios, that becomes your inner dialogue for some people. Mm -hmm. And you take some of that. Um, You know, a wonderful saying in in trauma-informed care, which I am such a huge fan of, especially for adoptive parents, to to have some trauma-informed care, dysregulated parents will have dysregulated children. You're so, so right. Yeah. So when we're looking at a lot of these studies with mental illness, so much of that plays a role um, that it's hard to tease out what's just genetic and what's more uh, in regards to their environment and the way they were raised. Having said that, though, it does seem like uh, the studies do show that there is a correlation. There is definitely a genetic component. So if we're worried about Things like depression, anxiety, even schizophrenia. Schizophrenia still is not a 100% correlation um, in, in studies. So if we're worried about those things, we do need to acknowledge that there is that genetic component. We cannot discount it. But there's still hope. There's still room to say just because mom had depression does not mean that the child will definitely have depression. So great points. There were two things that you highlighted there in particular that that really stuck with me. The first was just really around kind of preparing to parent, right? And so understanding dysregulated parenting and what that is and how that has an impact. And, you know, I think we oftentimes get caught up in the the steps and the process of adoption that we forget that we also need to be preparing for what happens when baby comes home, right? And really what happens in this next phase. And so I do really highly encourage our audience to really do a lot of research in that phase, you know, and that as well to get ready for the next phase of this, if you will. Um, and then the second thing that was really kind of a North Star for me that something you said there just really reminded me as we went through our adoption journey and I would you know review medical records, my North Star was if it's in our families, then genetically we would have had, you know, potentially something in that space anyway. Um, and so, you know, do I feel equipped to parent it? You know, it's one of those questions of yes, but also would have a biological child might have had that, you know, um, issue or opportunity, depending upon how you look at it as well. And so that might be another you know, kind of good rule of thumb for, for folks to think about. Um, the other kind of questions really kind of come in what I call the the more common family history, you know, kind of segment, if you will, around um, cancer, around diabetes, around heart disease and things of that nature. Um, are there any, you know, kind of tips in those spaces for key things to look out for in, in medical records? Sure. And, you know, you said it perfectly right there. What's in your family? Can you honestly say that your family does not have heart disease, does not have diabetes, not have cancer? Most of us cannot say that. Um, you know, these things are super common. Heart disease is the number one uh, leading cause of death for men and women. So finding a family without heart disease is pretty darn rare. 
Um, yeah. We just have to be mindful again of, of what we're being told. If we are able to ask questions, ask the right questions and see where we can go from there. Um, again, all of these things may or may not have a genetic component. So looking at cancers, cancer is not just one disease. It's a variety of diseases, a variety of problems that lead to different cancers in different places. So childhood cancer, I guess that would be something I would worry about if I were um, in the adoption process if the mother, expected mother had childhood cancer. Mm-hmm. The truth is most childhood cancers are not hereditary. Um, some of them are. Some of them are more highly hereditary. So usually there's, or let's say genetic, let's put it that way. At least uh, there's a genetic component to some of these cancers like neuroblastoma, which is a nerve cancer that can be um, anywhere in the body, usually in the belly area for babies. That has a genetic component. That is a gene that went wrong and caused that cancer. And that can have a familial component. Now, Childhood leukemia, on the other hand, which is much more common, that's that's unfortunately just a bad luck type of cancer. Um, so it's not something that would preclude me from, uh, you know, having that conversation with an expected mom. Um, you know, looking at adult cancers, again, breast cancer is now one in eight women will have breast cancer in their lifetime, which is unfortunately a really scary thought. But again, very common then. So how many families can truly say they don't have breast cancer? So if breast cancer is in the family history and it's in uh, the expectant mom's grandmother who is 85 years old, that's going to be different than if um, the expectant mom's mom, let's say, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 37. Right. That's going to be a different conversation. So um, there's nuances there to try to figure out. And, and that's where the art, I guess, of medicine comes around <laughs> a little bit to help lead these conversations because it's not just big in that black and white. Um, diabetes, diabetes, you have two different types of diabetes. There's type one diabetes and type two diabetes. Type one diabetes is an autoimmune problem. That's where the body creates antibodies to attack itself. So it's an autoimmune problem where the body's attacking itself versus type 2 diabetes, which is um, where our body is not responding to insulin, which is the little chemical in our body that that helps us deal with sugar. And so that's more of a problem that again, there is a genetic component to it. We can't discount that genetic component, but diet, exercise, poor lifestyle is a really big contributing factor to type 2 diabetes. So if I see that an expectant family has diabetes, my first question is going to be, is it type 1 or type 2? Mm-hmm. 90% of the time, it's going to be type 2, where again, that's the one that most families are going to have and is most likely going to be an older age down the road thing if we're not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So if a family has type 1, though, that's a little bit of a different conversation. There is a genetic component to that. There is a, a little bit of hereditary uh, component that we would need to talk through. And it's a funny one. It depends. Does the expectant father have diabetes versus the expectant mother? And even if the expectant mother does have type 1 diabetes, the uh, pattern changes on what could happen for the child versus how old mom was when she got pregnant with the baby. So, again, a lot of new ones. <laughs> walk through. Um, but type one is going to be more of a concern than type two. 
Wow. Lots of nuances. And honestly, that's the reason why I'm so excited we're talking and that you're such an open resource for our community. That is just so amazing. Um, I, again, I can't say enough about how I wish I'd had you in my in my hip pocket, so to speak, whenever I was going through the process. I know you have a few tips for our audience as it relates to just kind of the process in general and medical records. Do you mind sharing those? You know, I think uh, a lot of them we've kind of touched on biggest thing is be prepared be prepared for anything you know if um if you're having a child whether it's adoptive or biologic no one can predict the future on that baby and mm-hmm. so going in as a parent you need to prepare yourself as you mentioned prepare yourself for parenthood in general make sure you're at a stable place but also prepare yourself that you don't know what's coming down the road um and, and we don't know that if we have our own children no we can do our best but we, we don't know. So that would be one thing. Um, two, you're going to become an advocate for this child. No matter what happens with that child, you're going to have to become an advocate. And that's going to be the biggest thing to get you through as a parent. Mm-hmm. These kids and all kids are going to have stumbles along the way. Every child has a stumble along the way. Adoptive kids, especially kids who are in foster care, we know do have trauma. Um, and that trauma is something that, again, we all need to prepare ourselves for. And that trauma is something we sometimes need to explain to other people um, to help our kids along. And so we need to become an advocate for them. And the third thing is, you know, talk to somebody. Don't be afraid to ask for help. We're here to help you along this way. Um, you know, a, a lot of these conversations can be scary at first. They can be intimidating. We want to take that control that we don't necessarily feel all the time and make these decisions based on that. So, so just preparing ourselves to become an advocate for our kids to walk with them through this journey and uh, help them have the confidence along the way is going to be one of the most important things we can do as a parent. You're so right. I know during my own son's health journey, it, I really had to be his advocate to explain to the doctors what I was seeing and really just ask the questions, right? Of just like, I, you know, cause I'm just shooting in the dark. I don't know other than the symptoms that I see in front of me um, and just be willing to, to have those, you know, conversations of this is so weird and so different and it could be nothing. That's what I always start off with. This could mean absolutely nothing, but here are the three things that I'm seeing. And here's, you know, here's what he's doing. What is, and, the, and it, like I said, it took us a, a while to come to, you know, a rather rare diagnosis from a GI perspective, but had I not been, um, you know, his advocate, it, it really would have made a big difference in his life long-term. Um, so you're, you're totally right. Thank you again so much for being willing to join us. Where can our audience learn more about you and, and get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, the best way to follow me is on Instagram and Facebook uh, at the Adoption Doc LLC. Uh, I also have a website. It's www.theadoptiondoc.com. And uh, there you can find more information on what I do um, to help adoptive families. We also talk about parenting and just life in general with kids. <laughs> so lots of information. That is awesome. And I'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes as well. So everybody can grab easy access, but we really do appreciate you so much. And for all that you do for our community, for all the education you provide, um, and honestly, just for being an, an awesome human being, we're very thankful for you. Oh, well, thank you again for having me. I'm so uh, excited to be able to reach out and meet new people and help them along their way. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 
wasn't that conversation with Sarah just so informative? Not only does she really help you understand kind of the general areas that you need to be looking for and thinking about, but she shoots it real for you and says, you know what, just because it says this doesn't mean that. And I think, again, you know, the real point to the conversation is be intentional and understand what the potential risk and opportunities are with each individual case and make sure that you can provide what this child might need either way. That is really, again, the core of everything we're trying to do here, right? Is we want to make sure that we are doing right by these children that we hope to bring into our family. So make sure you're clear on your vision, make sure you're clear on kind of the possible outcomes based upon various diagnoses and make sure that those things are congruent. Listen, friend, I know things can be confusing throughout the adoption process, but surround yourself with the resources that you need in order to make your adoption journey easier. Go follow Sarah over on Instagram and reach out to her if you have any questions. Remember, anything's possible with the right plan and support, and I've got your back 100% of the way. I'll see you soon, friend.